the truth is, I am Iron Man. That's right. Today we're talking about the first film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 2008's Iron Man. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go. Because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there! I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to this episode of Doing Disney. Today, I'm joined by my very special guest. I've brought in a fandom expert and legend for this one. It's Nick Tuig. Nick, thank you for joining me today. Oh, Kelly, I, I am so happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, those are very kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, but thank you for having me. It's so exciting. Start at the beginning. Iron Man, released in 2008, starting the Marvel Cinematic Universe, directed by John Favreau, starring Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane, and Terrace Howard as Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes. While demonstrating his latest weapons technology, tech genius Tony Stark is captured by the Ten Rings and forced to recreate the Jericho missile. Wounded from his capture, Dr. Yinsen builds an electromagnet to keep shrapnel from his heart and assists Tony in his plan to build an armoured suit to break free. Escaping from the cave and returning to the USA, Tony announces that Stark Industries will no longer produce weapons, much to the surprise and then against the advice of company manager Obadiah Stane. Continuing to improve on his Iron Man suit, it is revealed to Tony that his weapons are still making it into the hands of the Ten Rings. Tony and his trusted assistant Pepper Potts find that it is Obadiah who arranged for Tony to be captured and is the one making the weapons deals, as we see Obadiah also attempting to recreate the Iron Man suit. However, top scientists cannot recreate the arc reactor needed to power the suit, so Obadiah paralyzes and steals the one from Tony's chest. Now in a fully functional suit of his own, the Ironmonger, Obadiah attempts to kill Pepper, but Tony is able to intervene in time, having been able to reclaim his original arc reactor. We see the two clash until Tony tells Pepper to run the arc reactor at Stark Industries, which overwhelms Obadiah's suit, causing him to fall in and kill him. The film concludes with a press conference the following day and Tony declaring, I am Iron Man. Tale as old as time. So Nick, what are your first memories of Iron Man? Did you see it in theatres or did you come round to it later? I didn't uh, see it in theatres. Oddly enough, the MCU... Um, I really didn't, most people don't know this, I didn't really pick up on the MCU until like the time the Avengers came out. Um, oh. And so like up till then, I really hadn't seen anything. But Iron Man specifically, I, I remember very distinctly because the first time I saw Iron Man, I had actually broken my jaw like in seventh grade. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Worst experience of my life. I broke my jaw playing basketball. They had to wire it shut for, for two months. So I wasn't able to eat or do anything. And I was just sitting at home, no energy because I couldn't eat or do anything. Uh, but I had some very good friends and some very nice people who would like bring me things. Like they would come over with their parents and be like, hey, here's some stuff to like get you through it. And someone brought me like a DVD of Iron Man. And so I watched it all miserable. And that was the first time I watched it. <laughs> um, so and it, and it cheered me up. It's, it's a very good film. I grew up reading comics so like i knew who iron man was uh, i read all the comics i don't know why i didn't get into the movies until the avengers came out i just don't think i was too plugged in uh, as i am now um but yeah those are my first memories of it it's it, i remember it being an awesome thrill ride uh great music great great performances but even when i saw it the first time i really didn't realize it was leading to a sort of connected thing so then once i found that out i kind of fell in love Oh, bro, that was actually my next question. Did it wet your whistle for the MCU? Did you start to then look into it and see what was coming, look at Thor and Iron Man 2 and start to get excited for the, the universe they were building? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the first movie I saw in theaters was The Avengers. I had seen Iron Man previously. I had seen Captain America recently or uh, before it, but uh, I like hadn't seen Thor before I saw The Avengers. Like I was missing a whole lot of context going into the Avengers, and I was like, okay, this, this is cool. Like, I know these comic characters. Uh, and then I went back and watched Thor, and I did, like, a bunch of rewatches, and then I became, like, a, okay, I'm going to study every detail uh, of these movies. That cracks me up that you probably watched the Avengers and went, oh, it's Loki. I bet they never thought they'd bring him in. Yep, 100%. <laughs> uh, Thor was there, and they're, they're in the Avengers. They talk about, like, oh, Thor, how'd you get back to Earth? And I was like, hey, what's, what's the big deal? You can get to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Missed some context. 
Uh, my first memories of the film, I was working at the cinemas at the time. So this is 2008. Um, I always got to see all the posters, trailers. Uh, we had this wall-to-ceiling poster of Iron Man. So it was the the standard one with the blue background and him standing at the top and all that. So that just made me so excited for the film. I know the exact day that I watched it because it released worldwide from 1st of May 2008, but I was on holidays. I was on holidays at the time. <laughs> so Tuesday, 13th of May 2008, I went to the cinema in the morning and no one else was there. It was just my boss working behind the counter. So I grabbed myself a bag of peanut M&Ms because I was not yet a learned person who knows that crispy is the way to go. Poured myself a large Coke and got a whole private showing of Iron Man to myself. And it was oh my fantastic. I have never worked at a movie theater, but like, man, I, I always wanted to. And, and like talking to you and, and now and Tim and like all these people are like, yeah, you just stay after work and watch free movies. And I'm like, I would do, that's what I do anyway, except I pay for it. So the, the, the day of the dark, the night before the dark night was set to release worldwide on, a, it's our Thursday, the Wednesday night, my boss put the film together, shut down the last showing and did a showing just for all the stuff. Oh it was the God. best moment ever. So I saw it before worldwide release. So it's it's things like that that I really appreciate. Iron Man is a character I knew very little about, only from reading IGN at the time because they were doing a big big ramp up into it because I'm much more of a DC property girl coming from like the cartoons and whatnot. That's more my my bag, my area. So knowing nothing about the character made it much more interesting to sit down and watch because I was much more captivated in the performance that Robert Downey Jr. is giving because he is Iron Man. You know, he really, really is. Yeah, it's not even it's not even close. Like to think that they almost had Tom Cruise there, like what it would look like today. But I I even with like Ryan Reynolds, um, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, like I still I think Robert Downey Jr. is probably the most accurate uh portrayal of a comic book character. Um today, by far. It's my favorite part because you'll see. So Nick, what's your favorite scene from the film? My favorite scene from the film um, is probably uh, no no question. It's it's Iron Man's return to the city of Golmira after he like he makes the Mark Three. So the Mark One is is the big hunk of metal he escapes in. The Mark Two is the silver one he does the test flight in, uh, and the Mark Three is like the iconic red and gold suit. And so it's his first like test with that suit, and he flies to Golmira and he frees the whole town. Uh, he gets knocked out of the sky by missiles. The tank is iconic when he gets shot at by the tank and he just sort of steps to the side, shoots a tiny little missile, walks away with the tank exploding behind him. It's all iconic. It's all like perfect. It's all perfectly synced uh, to the music. Uh, visually, it's it's appealing. And it's just at the time, it, it's crazy because where, they, where they've gone from there since then, where they're like fighting aliens and like multidimensional stuff and somehow all that makes sense to go back and just watch that scene of like, it's a guy fighting terrorists in another country. It's very grounded. It's very realistic. And even though he's got this suit of armor that somehow doesn't exist in the real world, I'm still like a little baffled. Waiting on it. No one's really like, you know, you know, you think someone could have figured that out by now, but I guess not. Um, it just felt so real. It felt like this is something that could happen. Uh, and it feels like, it feels like, okay, I feel like heroes can exist uh, on this scale uh, because of that scene. Oh, absolutely. The part that sticks out in my mind about that scene is when he is able to target everyone except the civilians. And I thought, what a really clever way to showcase what his technology is and have a bit of heart and humanity between that. So I, I like that scene a lot. Yeah, it's great. And then there's the there's the like second in command guy of the Ten mm -hmm. Rings uh, who's like hiding behind a wall and he like punches through the wall and pulls him through. And instead of like killing him like he did with everyone else, he just leaves him to the citizens and flies away. And it's like, OK, this dude, this dude knows what he's doing. He's like a yes. master of war. He's grown up his whole life knowing what war is and he knows how to get in, get the job done and get out. Very strategic, very strategic planning. Uh, my favorite scene that I want to talk about is the one I found most touching on this rewatch. This might be the second time I've gone back to Iron Man since Endgame. Now, if you have not seen Endgame, listeners, if you do not know how Phase 3 culminates, um, skip forward a little bit. But honestly, it's been two years, and I don't know how you would have avoided spoilers at this part. And if, if, you have, 
<laughs> yeah, if you have manager voice spoilers, I am not going to be the one to break it to you. So skip forward till you hear the next little jingly sparkle tone. But basically, um, the scene where Pepper's watching TV, Tony buzzes her and asks, how big are your hands? And it's that little throwaway line. You're like, what is going on? She walks down into the lab and you see him on his work chair. It looks like a hospital sort of setting in a, in a sense. And you can just see um, the wires in his chest exposed. And he's very soft and he's very vulnerable when she walks in. And so he just very calmly says that um, she needs to replace the, the wiring in his chest. He pulls this out and she puts his hand in and, oh, it's pus, and she's freaking out. And it's this really small moment where she says, oh, it smells. And Robert Downey Jr. just throws out, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Because that, to me, is the biggest non-acting moment. That is just something a couple would say. Like, that is so based in reality that it just feels real. That's, that's a human experience that people have where you've got someone going like, oh, this is so bad. And you're like, yep, yep, but you're doing it. Yeah. So. No, t- Tony and Pepper, top, top three couples by far. Uh, Cap and Peggy will always be number one for me. But but Tony and Pepper are, are up there. and. And yeah, it's those. It's because of those moments like that. It's because you see them interact, and they have just such great chemistry. Uh, and it really shows how like Tony wants to be like the rock for Pepper to lean on, even though Tony's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. So like, even though he's in this situation where like he could die if you take the magnet out wrong, he's sitting there cracking jokes, trying to make her feel comfortable, even though she's super uncomfortable. And it's honestly, it really is a very sweet. Uh, moment for a guy who like obviously has some attachment issues like because of his parents and, and everything like that and it's just his way of showing affection and, uh, and uh, it's honestly really good absolutely and then you get the flip on that when he's like as long as you don't pull out the and of course she, <laughs> she pulls it out <laughs> and then that dynamic flips because even though he's still calm she's she very earnestly looks at him and is like you're gonna be okay we're going to be okay. And you can see that um, pepper control mode start to kick in, even though, you know, she believes none of that. Like she's just saying it to console him. So um, I, I do like that. I think this is the best showcase of that dynamic. I like this scene much more than the dancing scene. I find that one to be yeah. a tiny bit overproduced, whereas this one, I feel like this is the base of the di- of the dynamic and the base of the relationship that, that we get. And so... What I was alluding to earlier, I like that this is the heart of Tony Stark and Pepper has Tony's heart, you know, yeah. and then it comes all the way back to Endgame when Pepper's the one to comfort him and things like that. I think, like, this is the start of it and then that's the end of it. It comes full circle. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. It is. They, what the MC does really good is they have all these tiny through lines that that don't aren't, don't necessarily take center stage in any of the movies, but, like, you see um it's the same with like him and Peter in in Spider-Man Homecoming like you see the mentor mentee role uh the father son role uh, so to speak and then it, that comes back in Endgame as well that's why Endgame was just such an experience because of all the things that came before it and and it was able to wrap those things up the amount of payoff was amazing if it it makes you feel seen and that you've put in all this work and effort you've done the homework yeah. And you get, you get the payoff for it, so it was great. For sure. You ain't never had a friend like me. Who's your favourite character in the film? My favourite character in the film, besides Tony, because I feel like that's sort of an easy answer. Shall we touch on Tony first then? Sure. Yeah, why not? Um, okay. What a, what a great... What a great character, because, you know, you have Cap, and, on, and Cap's honestly my favourite character in the MCU. Uh, but he's the sta- he's the Boy Scout. He's the straightforward hero, like, does this. Tony is the guy with, like, questionable morals, always wants to do the right thing, but, like, always also wants to, like, serve himself. Um, and it's just such a unique twist on, on a character because even movies before that that aren't connected to the MCU, comic book movies prior to that, the hero is usually like, okay, here's the right thing, I'm going to do the right thing. Uh, whereas Tony is like, here's the right thing, but I'm going to be kind of a jerk while I do it. <laughs> absolutely because even even wolverine will always do the right thing at the end of the day like there's always those morals behind it but the way that tony delivers things and his thought process and planning it really is um a bit, a bit much as to the beat of his own drum but in the best way possible 
for sure. And just the just the things he goes through. Like I can't I don't know that anyone could or some people, but I couldn't imagine being stuck in a cave like that and having to escape and going through everything he went through. Like it's trauma, it's it's traumatic experiences that really have effect on characters. Uh, and to see Tony go through that and still be his like joking, wisecracking self, but now with this new instilled sense of responsibility, based on where he started the film, like skipping his award show to like go play, roll dice in the in the casino, it, it's just such a, a flip. While he still maintains who the character is at the core, it's 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 one of the best performances in the MCU. Is this one of the MCU films we get the most character growth in in a singular film? Um. That I think it might be. Third question. Probably. Yeah, nothing immediate comes to mind to like counter it. When no, when I watched it recently, I was like, wow, this is a real full self-contained film. You know, as a put and I I'd like a lot of the later Marvel ones, but this one feels like you can see that this is the start. This is the this performance, this is a linchpin of the MCU. If this had have not succeeded, we really wouldn't be where we are today. Right. And I think this performance and this character should go down in cinema history. I'm trying not to be <laughs> hyperbolic or heaping just too much praise, but I think it is. And as, as we're saying, I don't think there's a character that has been more simpatico as Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man that really makes you feel like they are one and the same person. For sure. And, and you know, everyone says this, but Iron Man was like a B-tier comic character. Oh, I wrote C in my notes. <laughs> B-tier? Yeah, she's <laughs> Uh, I knew who he was because I, I grew up reading, but like no one else knew who he was. You couldn't walk up on the on a street and be like, "Hey, Tony Stark," and you can do that now because because of what Robert Downey Jr. was able to do. But you're right; without that first film, the the universe doesn't really kick off. Even like if it if it was even on the same like quality level as like The Incredible Hulk, which is I think is a good film, but it's it's nowhere near Iron Man. It's usually in in people's like bottom tier of MCU. If the first two were like a Matt Iron Man and then a Matt Incredible Hulk, I don't think we get the MCU that we have today. Not at all. And and it is Tony Stark because the the quips and the humor that he's able to bring, that's what I think brought people back. That's what sucked people in and went. Oh, and the charisma of it all. It's like, yeah. yes, I want to see another one of them. People clamored for Iron Man 2 possibly too quickly. You know, we should have let that fade just a little bit more. But that was just, that was the, the need at the moment that people just wanted to see more of this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I could do anything, I would make Iron Man 2 the first Black Widow movie and then have Tony mm. like appear and, and like play a supportive role in, in, the fir- in Black Widow. And so the first five films would be like Iron Man, Hulk, Black Widow, Thor, Captain America. Um, but we didn't get that. We got Iron Man 2. I think it's a fine film. It's, it's, it's got its, it's, it's mostly just set up. But, um, it still has all the great things you love about Tony in it that you get in the first Iron Man. Agreed. So who's your favorite character then? We've talked about Tony. Who else stands out? I think for me, and I'm trying not to let the bias of like future films come into play because he really doesn't have a huge role in Iron Man, but I love me some Happy Hogan. Um, John Favreau is so, so great, uh, especially when you, when, you, when you know he's the one behind the camera. Like he's the one who's also making all this other stuff happen. And yet he still has the time to be like this delightful side character who's very fun. I think he shines a little bit more in like his scenes in Iron Man 3 and Iron Man 2. Uh, but so maybe I am letting my bias with the rest of the universe come into it. But whatever. I love Happy Oak. Me too. When I saw John Favreau on screen, I knew he was the director as well. Because um, I guess coming from being a very big Friends fan, that's my first that's my first knowledge but then of course later on knowing as the director of elf so i wasn't surprised to see him on screen because i've seen him as pete becker in friends yeah. or whatnot. but it was a little it was a fun easter egg for movie fans to be like oh that's the guy you know right. that, that sort of thing and when he's um as his bodyguard i think that's a fun fun twist a fun character to play it's it's very funny because and and they make a joke about it in the second one where he goes, I tell people, or the third one, I tell people I'm Iron Man's bodyguard. They laugh at me. Like, of course they do. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just where Happy goes from Iron Man, not to get into too many other films, but he has like such sweet moments with like Peter Parker and, and Tony's daughter in Endgame is probably like one of the biggest tear jerking moments of the whole movie. But he just, he plays that reliable friend that like is a goof. And you get it. And like, if you were friends, you'd like pick on him in a love in a loving way. Um, but at the end of the day, you know he's there and he has your. 
that's a character I was surprised to see continued throughout the franchise because that really could have just been a, a smaller role and John Favreau might have been like, no, I don't want to come back to that. I want to do directing or whatever. But to see that, that through line, that shows like a lot of care and a lot of dedication and, and I like that. I agree. So my favourite character, Pepper Potts. Makes sense. Uh, after two. <laughs> I remember being so nervous about Gwyneth Paltrow being cast because this is around the time where she's maybe copping a little bit of flack in Hollywood as being maybe not the strongest actress because okay. she's done Shakespeare in Love, right. but then there was this string of, sh like, not great rom-coms and <laughs> lesser performances. So I Shallow Howl? Shallow Howl, View from the Top, yeah. um, all that sort of era. Yeah. I think she's not a, not a joke in Hollywood, but not taken as a serious actress. So I think that's not only are you gambling on Robert Downey Jr., gambling on Gwyneth Paltrow Absolutely. a little bit as well. And she just brings it. I love this character. She made me love this character so much. Straight from the scene of when, uh, and sometimes I help Mrs. Stark take out the garbage. Anything else? Uh, I, I'll, so she true. plays such an assertive character who's never um, aggressive, over the top, harsh. She yeah. she can be somewhat firm, but she's still a very soft. She's just a composed person, and I like to see that. But she's also not a killjoy. She volleys with Tony, like, oh, yes, I've got stress, and oh, you're very good. Thank you, Mr. Stark, and all those sorts of moments. And when she cuts him off, when she he thinks he's being, like, a little bit fresh with her when they come back from, well, I need an American cheeseburger, and oh, Tony, like, I like that. She's just, she knows her job, she's good at her job, but she doesn't take any of Tony's bullshit. You Absolutely. Know? She's, the, she's the perfect foil. Because yes. everyone else in Tony's life, aside from, like, Rhodey and maybe Obadiah, Everyone else is like, you're Tony Stark. Like, bow, uh, mm -hmm. kiss, kiss your feet. Um, you're to you're the great Tony Stark. So he that's that's what has caused like this inflamed ego of his and stuff like that. And it's characters like Pepper that make him a more realistic person that you want to root for because you see her able to like combat his wittiness and his obnoxious quips at times. And, and no, and when no one else in the film is able to do that, it really makes Pepper stand out. Absolutely. I think that's that's a very hard line for a female comic book character to walk. And I don't know if it's been as successful in some of the other films, but this mm -hmm. performance with Gwyneth Paltrow, I think, is yeah, top tier. For sure. Uh, any other characters you want to touch on briefly? Uh, briefly, I'd say Rhodey. I think we'll talk about uh, Obadiah a little bit later. But like Rhodey, obviously, different actor, like a different actor took over and went on. And I prefer the other actor just because we've seen more of him. Uh, in the MCN, I've sort of gotten used to him playing Rhodey. Uh, but I think Terrence Howard does does a really good job uh, yeah. as Rhodey. I was a little bummed to not see him suit up. Like, I, I knew when I saw him. I was like, War Machine. But uh, Rhodey's great. He, he's that other. All these characters serve as really great supports to Tony. Like, I don't think I necessarily want to see, like, a Pepper movie or a Rhodey movie or a Happy movie. But, like that's not a bad thing. Like you can be a fantastic standout character by supporting the, the lead and, and Rhodey and Pepper and happy all do that by like bringing Tony back down to earth. And, and so Rhodey serves the same purpose as Pepper. I think Pepper does it a lot better. Um, but Rhodey is there and serves his purpose really well. Yeah. It's good that he can um, enable Tony in these sorts of situations that you've got that friend who can, go along with your schemes and, and help support you. Like I like how he steps in um, when Tony's flying and things like that and like is able to take command and just. Train, just a training exercise, right? That's the <laughs> usual BS. He's like, yes. it's not that simple. Uh, there was an unfortunate <laughs> training exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good cut. The humor in the film comes mm -hmm. through as well. You get a really good blend of action and humor. Yeah. And honestly, and that's not to go back to John Favreau, but that is a lot of John Favreau. Listen well, all of you. So what's your favourite quote from the film? Oh, my favourite quote from the film. I mean, the, the one that instantly comes to mind is I am Iron Man right at the end. Uh, iconic, classic, because, you know, before then you have Batman, you have Superman, you have all these characters who have secret identities and that's, that's their shtick. Uh, but then you see Iron Man and Tony... And it makes so much sense for the character because Tony wouldn't be the guy to, like, have that dual life. Like, he would want everyone to know, like, yeah, 
I saved you all. I did it because it was the right thing, but also I'm kind of awesome, right? <laughs> that line more so for what it means for the future and for and because of how much sense it makes to the character. That that I am I am Iron Man line, and then the reaction from the press is is perfect. Cut credits. Yeah, perfect way to end it. Yeah, uh, that that line it, it is an iconic one at this point. I do very much enjoy the way you just phrased it. It is because it is a Tony Stark move to do that sort of thing to pretend to go along with the story and then just be like, "Nah, it was me. Look at me. I did these things." But I remember sitting in the theater at the time and just being like, "That just happened." Because as you said, hiding your secret identity has always been the basis of comic books and comic book movies. You know, you need to protect. The ones you love so spider-man you know you can't let anyone know about aunt may or i guess x-men's maybe a little bit different because that's a little bit harder to hide in your team <laughs> but you definitely do think spider-man's batman's and things like that and we see a little bit of the inverse um later on in the year with the dark knight where uh the joker is able to find um Rachel Dawes, yeah, so you see the consequences of that. But Tony has so much hubris and ego, he's not even thinking about that. But he's the most powerful person in the world at this point. He knows it. So why wouldn't he be able to protect the ones he loves? Yeah, yeah. he has so much faith in himself to be better than the people that would harm the people he cares about that he's willing yes. to, like, risk it. And it's it's picture perfect for who the character is. And I think also that is another note that the film ends on that makes you want to start the MCU, that makes you want to come back for a sequel because you need to see how that's going to start panning out. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like when he gives his address to the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. It's like, okay, people are coming for you. I don't know when, but they're coming. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of what it was like in Iron Man 2. It's like, okay, you just made a whole lot of enemies. <laughs> Can't wait to see what that goes for you. Uh, for me, usually I'd go with a quip. I want an American cheeseburger, or I am my man. Occasionally, I'd help Mr. Stark take out the trash. Yeah, but, <laughs> but again, after watching Endgame, the one that does it for me is so simple. It's the ensign telling Tony, don't waste your life. I think that is the crux of the film. I think that is the turn in Tony's personality. And you can see in the way that Robert Downey Jr. reacts to that. His face is just a little bit taken aback. It's not overplayed at all. You can just see him watching someone die and sacrifice himself for Tony and to that that he needs to make a change. He knows once he gets out of if he makes it out of here, he needs to make the change. So this is when the ethos of who Iron Man starts. And it carries all the way through in how he's willing to then be the one to sacrifice himself at the end of Endgame. I maybe wanted, we talked about threads and callback. I want a little more callback to this scene and this character because I don't think it gets the props that it deserves throughout the whole MCU. Yeah. But it's starting here and then Pepper telling him that you can rest now. I know that ties more into Infinity War that he's been working up all night, but for me, in my opinion, and the way I like to think about it, Tony started working from this moment here, so now he can rest from from now. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wish I had mentioned Jensen uh, back in the character thing because I, I forget. He's so he's so He's integral. He, he is, and, and honestly, he's, he's another one of those people that helps ground Tony to Earth. It's like, okay, anyone else would be like, I'm in a cave with Tony Stark. Like, this could be way worse. But he's like, yeah, I met you a couple of years ago. You, you couldn't even stand. Um, it was kind of obnoxious. Uh, maybe maybe we get out of here or, or what? And, and yeah, no, he's just he's just a good person who came from a hard back or a hard um, upbringing. Like his village was a hard life. When he reveals that his family's not alive anymore, it's like it, it just hits you so hard because he's still he finds a way to like make the situation fun. Cause like he's cracking a couple jokes here and there. He's like making fun of Tony a little bit. Tony's about to like rip the car battery out. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that is definitely a huge motivation for who Tony becomes post uh, cave. Yeah. And just uh, how he then, um, yeah, obviously changes from weapons building and weapons design and, the other one is like, I've seen, oh, what does he say? I've seen people being hurt no, by his own Americans weapon. Americans being killed with the very weapons I made to protect them. That's the one. That's the other one that I think starts to be the ethos of, of Tony and his motivation. So, yeah, yeah some, some real great quotes, just a killer script all around. 
yeah. this one. I would have loved to see a callback to Jensen too. Uh, there's obviously there's hmm. one in Iron Man three where like you see that meeting that he was talking about in, in Switzerland, but it's sort of a throwaway gag. And, and like I th- it would have been cool. I don't know, maybe like Tony like donates a bunch of money to like Gomira helps like fix up the city, put up put up a statue of Jensen. Like this guy is the reason um, this town goes on. That that would have been really tasteful. That would have been really classy. And a nice yeah. little touch. One song. I have but one song. Uh, what are your thoughts on the score and soundtrack? Brilliant. So I have a theory that uh, the, the the executives of Marvel sat in a room and said, "We're going to make an Iron Man movie." And the and the first thing that was said was, "So we're going to play Iron Man like in the credits, right? Like the song." <laughs> guaranteed and they were like yeah we should probably do like a whole acdc theme throughout and each song is is just perfect the the tone the like hard rock uh heavy metal sort of fits perfectly uh with who the character is uh and and throughout the the score is insane like i talk about the scene with with the tank where he blows it up and it's the the dun 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 brilliant iconic stuff uh, so much so that when it comes back in future movies, it, in Iron, when Iron Man makes appearances, like you, you recognize it, you know it, uh, because of how iconic it was in the first movie. Rami Djawadi oh. did a great job with the score, and then the soundtrack is top notch. Very much. Um, it still makes me so happy every time I watch this film to start the film with Back in Black in that intro. Uh, it just gets you so pumped. It does a great job of pulling you into the world because something we didn't touch on is how smart it is to use the plot device of starting, you know, with Tony uh, in the military vehicle and then you get to cut back. And it's not like a big previously this day or things like that. It's just some small moments where it's not the first introduction we see of Tony Stark is him um, uh, at the awards and missing things so we don't like him off the bat, but we like him straight away because we have this interaction with him and the soldiers and yeah. it's very cool. I better not see this on your MySpace page. Yeah, and it's one of those moments that shows you why characters like Pepper and Rhodey are so important later because he's with these soldiers who are like supposed to be just like straight and serious, but they're like, hey, I get a picture? Exactly. <laughs> um, and then when it turns to such a serious situation, it's like, okay, the guy I just met for the past two minutes, like, is not going to do well in this situation. Yeah. But um, back in black and in that vehicle pulls you into his world and that Tony Stark essentially is a rock star. That's why we've got a heavy rock soundtrack. He is he is a rock star. So, and I have had a similar feeling with you, with the um, executives, with the Iron Man. I'm like, someone is typing this on their computer with the script and they're like, Insert Iron Man credits. Yeah. <laughs> like you just know someone took a big sip of a drink and felt so proud of themselves for writing. Yeah, I think that was the selling point of the movie. Like they went in to pitch it and they were like, we don't have a script yet, but like we're gonna play the song Iron <laughs> like at the end. So can we make it or what? <laughs> but yeah, I am Iron Man, cut to credits. Doom doom. Oh, it works so well. But yeah. uh oh, yeah, and I had similar notes. Um uh, heavy guitars throughout. So then when you see him putting on the suit, um, I think the part I noticed it after Jensen's sacrifice when he comes out the cave, that was when I sort of really felt the score marry with Iron Man because you're seeing Iron Man for the first yeah. time. So it's like yeah. his it's literally it's literally his emergence, his yes. his it's his like birth as Iron Man because it's after that moment with Jensen where he goes, Okay, I'm not gonna waste my life. And it's literally seconds later where he steps literally into the light out of the cave he's emerged from the cave like a new person and to, so to accompany the score with that this movie is just so well crafted and Absolutely. yeah they thought about everything this is your badness level so then how evil is the villain what are your thoughts on Obadiah Stane I really like Obadiah Stane and I think he gets a bad rap um as being like the first person that's just like a copy of the hero because then they sort of fall into that trope where like abominations the same as Hulk, red skulls sort of the same as captain america um yellow jackets the same as ant man it's like so i I get why people get frustrated but i think obadiah stain is much better than that It, it really helps that he's played by jeff bridges i think another actor in that role probably makes it a cheesy like oh i'm just a jealous friend of your dad's and i'm angry um, but he like brings some weight to it. And, and even though you don't get a whole lot of his backstory, you understand that he was always like second fiddle. Uh, he's always, he was always like in the shadows of people greater than him. 
uh, and he, it grew to a point where he was willing to do anything to like be in the light. So in many ways, he's he's Tony just one step behind, and with making a cut, like it makes you sit there and think like this. If Tony grows up this way, and Obadiah Stane's the one who takes over for Tony Stark or for uh, Howard Stark, and like he does all the weapons and he's the rock star, does Tony, who we've seen can be kind of a self-obsessed jerk, does he turn into the evil guy who like steals uh, technology and, and uses it for himself to try and propel himself there? Um, so I know people complain about the villains being way too similar to the heroes, but I think that makes them way more interesting. Um, and I think Stane was really the first one to do it. And I think he's better than all the ones that come after it that are just supposedly carbon copies of the, the hero. Outside Red Skull, I really like Red Skull, but I also don't think they're exactly the same. But Obadiah Stane's really, really well done. And without the performance of Jeff Bridges, it could have fallen really flat for me, but it, it just didn't because Jeff Bridges brings it to a new level. Oh, absolutely. I, I have similar thoughts, like, because maybe it's just the first Marvel villain, but I feel like Jeff Bridges and Obadiah Stane just doesn't get nearly enough props. You need the villain to match the hero and have the motivations there. So they nailed the motivations, as you said. I really like the way you said that he's maybe one step behind and second fiddle to Tony. And I can see how frustrating that would be when you maybe don't have that innate genius that Tony Stark has. So you will just always be coming up short and how maybe that gives you a bit of an inferiority um, motivations to Tony. And I like this feeling because, as you said, it's he's not cheesy best friend. It's just he's close with him. Uh, it's always those closest to us who we have faith and trust that that's going to turn around and sting us the most. So mm. I think the groundwork's laid throughout the film where you're always a little bit like, because mm, they're never buddy-buddy. They're never, it's never laid on so thick that you're like, oh, it would never be him. So, of course, it's him. Like, he's just... Right. You can, you can see it coming, but it's not just so oblivious that it hurts the film. Yeah. The the twist is not what makes the film. Like, if, he, exactly. if you're paying attention, you can predict, like, he's probably the main villain. But it's, like, the why and the, the how he does it that, that really gets you. And to be fair to him, Tony's probably not a really easy guy to be second fiddle to. Like, <laughs> I get it. I don't think I'd go full on, like, make my own suit, try to kill the guy. But, like... Can you imagine being like essentially his assistant while he just reaps all these benefits and acts like a jerk? I watch a lot of Survivor. I've been watching a lot of Survivor recently, and they're just, it's just, I just picture these two in Survivor. And Tony gets voted out immediately because like he's really good at everything, but he's not paying any attention to the people around him and like what would uh, help them be on his side in the future, and that's what causes villains to be created. And Obadiah Stan would 100% last because he'd be making deals and yeah, alliances and whatnot. And he knows how to put that business. He's got the business sense. He just yeah. doesn't have that tech genius that Tony's bringing right. to it. Yeah. I do get a little third act fatigue because I do think he's much more menacing and threatening before putting on the Ironmonger suit. Once that suit comes on, I do find it a little bit hammy. And Jeff Bridges has been playing it so straight the whole time. but. I'm being the first Marvel film and being a comic book film, like still, I don't know if there's a solution to the third act. You always need to like have a big yeah. culmination of events. So it's fair, but also I I love that he's being hammy because it's his first chance to be Tony. He's mm -hmm. like, he's trying to be Tony. Like his uh like hold still, you little prick. Like it's him <laughs> trying to make quips and trying to be the rock star that he hasn't been able to be this whole time. It definitely comes across a little hammy. It could be better. And, and it's why Iron Man's like, no, it's not in my top five. It's in my top 10 of MCU, but um, it's, it's why it, it's the third act that doesn't necessarily push it to the top. Um, so it could be improved, but I get why he's doing that. It's like, oh. this, is, this is my chance. <laughs> I like that way of thinking about it. Next time I watch it, I'll, I'll try and keep that in the back of my head. Cause that, that does change the way you look at it a little bit. Right. But um, I think the best scene is where he paralyzes and threatens Tony. Even like watching in the theater and now watching again, that is the scene that just terrifies me. Because can you just imagine being stuck and someone just um, taking your literal heart out? Mm -hmm. And oh, Tony, you think you've changed? You think you've been a better person? I'm going to take this thing that you're trying to change and pride yourself on and use it to destroy things and people yeah. and whatnot so just throwing in his face like that I think so brutal and this is the Jeff Bridges side that I really like how he's just quiet menacing 
matter of fact, there's very little inflection in tone. It's just like, um, oh, what does he say? Oh, it's a shame you had to get Pepper involved. I would have preferred her to live. Yeah. Like no, no mustache twirling, wahaha, like just off the cuff remark, like Pepper's gonna die. Yeah. You know, no, it's really it's good. And this is after the scene where he like tells Tony, like, I was the one who filed the injunction against you. Like I was the one who voted to like kick you out. So Tony is now like, okay, you're obviously like not on my side, but it's not to the point where it's like, okay, you're going to go crazy and like make your own suit and try to kill me. So when that, when the, that device opens up and, and, and paralyzes him, it's instant shock. It's instant. You see the Tony basically gets the look paralyzed on his face of like, oh my God, this is happening. And yeah, he plays it so smooth uh, through. I'm glad the ham didn't start right there. I'm glad he sort of waited to, to ham it up until he got in the suit and could be protected. And I think that's why he does it. He's like, I'm protected. I can make all the quips I want. But at that moment, it's just like him relishing in the moment of, I got one up on you. Like, this is my first win against you. So sit there and enjoy it because you don't have a choice. Absolutely. Is is Obadiah Stane the best Iron Man villain? Is he the best that villain that Tony Stark came across during his run in the MCU? Um, outside of like Thanos, um, even though Thanos didn't really have like more a personal connection to Tony, um, he's definitely better than Whiplash. Uh, he's definitely better than Guy Pierce. Yeah, I would say probably yes because of his connection to Tony. Um, I agree. Yeah. Because, like, I think Thanos and Loki are, like, better villains. But for Tony, it's like, Tony has one conversation with Loki. And it's a great conversation. But um, that's that's the extent of it. And Thanos and Tony, it's like, you know me? Yeah, I do. And that's, like, the extent of their past. Obadiah grew up with Tony. And so it's such a huge betrayal. Uh, that makes him a better villain. So, yeah, I think I'd agree. Practically perfect in every way. Any um, final thoughts and a wrap-up, anything that stood out to you? I know for me, watching it um, and uh, with 2008 goggles, I like seeing like an LG flip phone, Mad Money, <laughs> MySpace. Like there was some good throwbacks in there, a little yeah. dated, but it's still enjoyable. It's fun. It's not like I'm looking at it going, oh, that doesn't work. It's still fun, but very it's, of the time. It's It's very of the time and it's just so funny because – where we are now in the MCU, obviously their technology has surpassed far where we are in the real world. So to think that like they started there and now they're at like time machines, it's kind of like, oh, that's a big leap real fast, but <laughs> I guess it makes sense. Uh, no, I love all those little, uh, those jokes. Uh, the post credit scene, I missed it the first time. Didn't know that was a thing when I watched it uh, on that DVD. I was like, cool, movie over. Um, going back and seeing it, it's iconic, it's huge. Had I seen it the first time, I would have lost my mind. I found out about it later. Um, but Nick Fury coming in saying, like, there's there's more to this than you can even imagine right now. He's talking to Tony and he's talking to us. Um, and had that been at the end of a mediocre movie, it would have meant pretty much nothing. Uh, but because it was at the end of such a great adventure and a great origin story following a great character, that's what makes you excited to come back for more. I remember sitting in the theater waiting for the credits and because of course I had the whole theater myself. So I'm just sitting there finishing my bag of M&Ms. But um, <laughs> I, I sat there because I had come to it two weeks later. So I read the articles, like, make sure you stay till the end. This post, there's something, there's like a, a trailer at the end. So I sat there and saw the Nick Fury scene. And then of course, later on, I got to actually run the movies. So I got to, you know, sneak in and see it a few times, but did not understand what was happening the first time I watched it. Just like, Oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Cool. But now, and then, of course, even just um, after Iron Man 2 and Thor and things like that, and before the Avengers, like mm. having all those sort of pieces come into place, it's just an absolute staple that now we get mid-credit trailers. You know, we've, yeah. we've doubled down on it. Guard, Guardians, how many did Guardians 2 have? Was it five? Five, I think. Yep, yeah, five. And I get annoyed at, like, regular movies when they don't have post-credit scenes now. Like, I watched Death on the Nile recently in spoilers, but there's nothing at the end. And I was just, I stayed and waited anyway, because I was like, maybe there's a thing. I don't know. Sorry, Go. does it annoy you when people walk out of the theater before the post-credit scene now? Because I just sit, <laughs> yeah, I sit there and my face is like, what are you people doing? Yup, it's just, oh, it's so frustrating. Because I know exactly what they're thinking. They're like, I'll go home and watch it on my computer. And it's like, just wait. Three minutes, people. Like, just, 
it's it's right here. Experience it like we've lost patience as a society not to go on a rant but we've, we've lost patience and people just can't sit and watch um the people who made the thing you just watched and then wait for an extra bonus thing at the end obviously there were movies before iron man that had post-credit scenes but i really think iron man is the one that made it like an expectation started the culture of it for sure absolutely um let's touch on phil colson popping up throughout the film yeah um, did not know during during the first watch that obviously that's what was happening. It was just like, oh, yeah, there's this side character that keeps popping up. Don't know why, but maybe we'll come into play later. But even um, when he's saying the whole strategic homeland title and then at the end just call it S.H.I.E.L.D. not coming from Marvel Comics, yeah. I had no idea what that was to me. So it was pleasant to see him more in, um, is it Thor with the hammer and things like that? Like when he's in New Mexico, it's like, so yeah. we've got in that post-credits and Things? That, that post credit scene is in Iron Man 2. That's the one, yes. And then he's in Thor a lot, yeah. Yeah. So I like, what even watching this most recent watch, I'm like, you get a lot more of him throughout the film than what I expected. When I think about yeah. it, I thought it was like one or two scenes, but no, he's in a fair few scenes. Yeah, and he definitely becomes like the Coulson that everyone loves in future movies. But he's great. He's got his little quirks. Uh, when Pepper's like leaving the office and he's like, we had an appointment. Did you forget about our appointment? <laughs> nope, let's have it right now. <laughs> um, he's great. I, I knew the strategic home, like from the first time he said it, I was like, oh, cool shield. That's a cool nod. And then at the end when he says like, oh, you can call a shield. I was like, I thought that was the most setup we were going to get. So then when the post credit team comes and he's like, I'm the director of shield. I was like, oh, we're going like full in. Um, but yeah, no, Coulson's great. And, and it's, his quirkiness and his uh, attitudes that start in Iron Man that make you so spoilers make you so upset when it, when he dies in the Avengers. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a great little like flavor uh, in the film. Coming from reading the comics, we when it was the Ten Rings, did that ring any bells to you? Yeah, no, I knew that was the Mandarin right away. I never thought at the I wasn't thinking big picture at the time, so I thought all these things. I thought Shield. I thought the Ten Rings. These are just like nods. Um, to the comics. I was like, they probably don't have any plans to like, if, if it does well, maybe they'll make a second one, but I figured they were all just nods. The Ten Rings is something very associated with the Mandarin, so I was really excited. Uh, it's why I don't like Iron Man 3 as much as most other people, because like, I get it, the twist is funny, but like, wow, I would have rather seen Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin in that movie fighting Iron Man. I'm glad we get him later in Shang-Chi, uh, and I think uh, he's fantastic in that movie, but he's an Iron Man villain. So, like, to not see Iron Man fight the actual Mandarin, I was a little bummed. Uh, but, yeah, no, just just the nod, just the Ten Rings, the symbol, I, I recognized it right away. But it never made me think, like, there were bigger things to come. No, I remember, um, yeah, going home and reading an IGN, and they're like, who might be the next villains? And them speaking about the Mandarin, because it's not the characters I'd ever heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and, again, seeing Iron Man 3, I couldn't believe, like, because it's, it's a mystical person. Mm -hmm. So, you know... Um, maybe a bit harder to do in the earlier phases because yeah. you really you're banking on to see how thor goes as well because that's the most outside the box character they were pushing at the time with magic and mythology and things like that so and i'm not the biggest fan of thor and thor 2 yeah. so I'm, i don't mind seeing the mandarin a little bit later but i agree it is an iron man villain that that, that would have been nice yeah. No, Thor is really underrated for what it does for the MCU because it's the first like expansion beyond what we what is believable. Like every everything up till then is like science fiction and we get we get it like we know it's not real but like we could see how it could be real. Um and then Thor is like space, gods. All of this stuff is real as well and that's what really starts to make you think, "Oh, this universe can really expand." Yeah, it um, opens up the cosmic side of it for sure. So yeah, you're right. I definitely wouldn't have wanted to see the Mandarin in Iron Man 2 or Iron Man, but Iron Man 3, I was really pumped and I was really disappointed when, when oh. but it's okay. We got him later. Uh, one of the other things, the Stan Lee cameo. Thanks, Hef. Yeah, which is weird to go back and watch that because eventually it just turns into like random guy. Yeah, first, or not first Stan Lee cameo. Obviously he was in like Spider-Man and, and X-Men uh, before that. But um, it's not the same anymore without him cameoing. No. So. no, that this Infinity War saga will always be very special 
Uh, and that will be one of one of the reasons why is that we get our, our Stanley cameos. Yeah, hundred percent. I I wanted them to obviously not replace him because you can't replace Stanley, but like. I thought it would have been cool if, like, Kevin Feige started making a camp, a Stanley. Oh, yeah. Uh, they decided not to go that route, and I think they're sort of, like, abandoning the, like, having someone cameo uh, in each movie. But, you know, maybe it's maybe that's for the best because Stanley does it like no one else. I think you would maybe need to do, like, a character or something. Like, if you saw, like, um, from What If, like, the, the Watcher or something, like, if you had, like, a really small, like, Pixar, you know, like, how you just have, like, the next thing for the next movie in that, like, if you had yeah. some, like, little Easter egg throughout. Yeah, if I liked What If, I would agree, I would agree with that. But <laughs> not like what if. So, no thanks on The Watcher, but, yeah, so someone else would be great. People people were talking about Deadpool, like, having Deadpool. There you go. So, yeah. I think that'd be pretty fun. Um but uh, maybe maybe it's just best they leave it. Yeah. It, it was its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh any other things we haven't touched on that you like to bring up for Iron Man? No, I think we we touched on everything. Uh like I said it's it's a heck of an achievement. It kicked off a cinematic universe that I think is sort of unprecedented. I think it's a new way of filmmaking. I know a lot of people like Martin Scorsese like don't like it, but I really think it is a new way to make films. It's essentially big TV shows. You're just making a TV show where each new installment is just another movie, which is incredibly incredible and grand scale and, and all that stuff. Uh, and it all starts with with this Iron Man and with all the performances and the direction uh, and music that really helps create that. And it's really something that is not as appreciated as much because like DC tries to do it. Um, uh, all these franchises try to make like the cinematic universe is the big thing now, and it's all because of what Iron Man was able to set up and and follow through with. Uh, I concur. It's a big moment in pop culture history, in cinema history. Uh, it's just a enjoyable film all around. I'd probably give it eight out of ten. It would make my top ten as well, maybe not top five. How about yeah. you? Yeah, I'd probably. I, I'm. I never do scores for stuff, so I'm always bad at this. But like. Probably an 8 out of 10. It's like a 4 out of 5. Yeah, I, I, I'd yeah. be okay with that. Yeah. Oh, uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. I've had so much fun talking to you. It's wonderful. No, thank you for uh, having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, good. Uh, and we'll see you next time. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. 